Are you offering your clients the experience they really want? Or are you offering them what you think they want? Join hosts Laura Gregg and David Partain from FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds as they talk with a variety of industry experts and advisors, just like you, about their latest industry research to help you develop the flexible mindset you need to rise above the crowd. We can't escape seeing all of the people coming to the rescue these days. Whether it's the doctors, nurses, and other hospital staff on the front line, or grocery clerks, postal workers, and the folks fulfilling orders at Amazon. There are so many people making an impact in this important time. I'm Patrice Sikora with Laura Gregg and David Partain of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds. In this Flexible Advisor podcast, they look at the financial advisory community and the people helping everyone through this. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Flexible Advisor podcast. We're so happy to have you here with us today. While we're starting to see some bending of the curve in COVID-19 cases and also states beginning to lift stay-at-home restrictions, medical professionals are still on the front line caring for patients and risking their own health as well as the health of their families. In today's episode, we speak with Lauren Oshman, who has a client base of medical doctors throughout the southeastern U.S., And we will talk with her about how she's been able to engage with these medical frontline workers during COVID-19. Why are they taking her calls? And how is she seeking to add value to reduce their non-medical stress levels? Lauren is a partner and chief experience officer, as well as a producing advisor at Vestia Personal Wealth Advisors. Vestia is a registered investment advisor with $350 million in AUM with offices in Nashville, Tennessee, Indianapolis, and Fort Wayne, Indiana. Lauren started her career as a financial advisor in 2010 and is a regular speaker at regional industry events. Although Lauren works with many types of specialty physicians, she has a niche expertise in working with high-caliber female surgeons. She is a strong advocate for equal pay for these women compared to their male counterparts and is also passionate about empowering them to spend their time purposefully rather than tethered to their financial responsibilities. As an accomplished financial advisor, executive, and mother, Lauren is juggling work and home responsibilities right alongside her clients. Lauren graduated from Vanderbilt University with a degree in economics and a minor in financial economics and was inducted into the International Economics Honor Society, Omicron Delta Epsilon. I may have messed that up. She volunteers uh, as a CSP WIN, Women's Initiative Advocate, to help raise awareness about the profession for young women. Lauren has also been a trusted partner of mine for about three years now. I bet some of my craziest practice management ideas with her first to make sure that content is additive and that I'm thinking the way an advisor might think. I've been really impressed with Lauren's proactive approach to working with her clients, and I feel confident that no matter which type of clients you serve, you will take away some very helpful ideas to help you in your practice. Thank you for joining us, Lauren. Thanks for having me. After that bio, we all know that you are absolutely brilliant. 
which is awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <too good. laughs> and we really appreciate you coming on. And I know Laura has been very excited to, to record this podcast. However, she didn't realize how excited I was because I have a daughter-in-law who is a frontline nurse who is working at a local hospital here dealing with this whole thing. I was actually excited too. Thank you also from me. Let's kick it off by having you tell us about your practice and the doctors that you serve. I personally, my practice is almost exclusively physicians. About 99% of my clients are physicians. I think just over a hundred physician families that I work with. Some I do full financial planning with, some are asset management only. I, over time, have developed quite a niche in anesthesiologists. So when we talk about frontline doctors, obviously anesthesiologists are the ones that do intubation. They manage ventilators. They are truly on the front lines of this. And that has been at the forefront of my mind as this has escalated over the last couple of months, since those are the clients that I serve. The remainder of my practice uh, primarily are surgeons of some kind or another. So that's really the other end of the spectrum that I think we'll get to as we talk. They have largely decreased volumes. They're finding themselves with more time on their hands <laughs> rather than less. Still very much impacted, but in a, in a very different way. Now, that is exactly what my daughter-in-law said, that the doctors who aren't on the front lines who have, quote-unquote, elective surgery have been actually not put out to pasture, so to speak, but they actually have just been kind of waiting in the wings. And it has been somewhat boring for them because they just they can't come into work because the hospital is just not doing any surgeries. And so I get it. But I also find it interesting that you would handle anesthesiologists. They put you to sleep rather than you put them to sleep. That's, that's a good thing, right? <laughs> I suppose so. <laughs> I know it must have been difficult to engage with these frontline professionals over the past couple of months. Tell us how you have communicated with those clients. We, as a company, made the decision to start working from home mid-March. It was actually one of my clients. He sent me an email and it says, use video conferencing whenever possible, stay home, wash your hands, be safe. And this is a guy that wouldn't be panicking unnecessarily. <laughs> so we quickly got our owners together, decided that we needed to get our people working from home. When we did that, I printed out a client list, just list of names. I put it on my desk in my home office and I just started working my way down the list, picking up the phone and calling these clients. I didn't necessarily have an agenda for that phone conversation. I really just wanted to see how they were doing and what was on their minds. And very interesting, perhaps unsurprisingly, it wasn't the market and their portfolio performance that was what was creating the most anxiety for them. It was really what was going on at the hospital and what they were seeing preparation for, the uncertainty of what was to come and what their role was going to look like in all of that. I kind of took the approach of if they were shouldering that level of anxiety at work, the last thing I wanted them worried about was some headline about their portfolio tanking. I'm like, if I can just lead with the perspective of kind of the long-term plan, <laughs> the fact that we expect volatility, that we haven't seen volatility in the market in a while, so we're kind of due for that. Your long-term plan stays on track. 
we focus on the things that we can control just to give them some peace of mind. I thought that was going to make a big difference and just let them focus on the things that they needed to focus on at work. One of them actually said to me, she's like, yep, we are on the same page. You sweat the financial crap. We'll save the lives. I'm like, that, that is my, that's my goal during all of this. And surprisingly, I expected that a lot of these frontline doctors were going to be probably wanting to kick their appointments that should have been happening in the spring, probably kick those into the future. Most of them actually kept those appointments. A lot of those, well, I shouldn't say a lot, but a handful of those we were coordinating with spouses in different locations because one of them was maybe had moved out of the house for a period of time. Maybe they had been exposed and were trying to prevent their families from being exposed or one, we had the husband in the ba- in the basement and the wife on the main level. They were kind of separating themselves within the home because one of them had been exposed. The video platform actually worked really well for that as opposed to having to try to get them together in the office in the midst of this. I think them being wherever they were and just being able to meet them where they are made it really easy to get that FaceTime, show them that things were on track, answer whatever questions they had on their mind, and really just, again, help create that peace of mind that on the financial side, everything's going to be totally fine. Lauren, that aligns really well with uh, other speakers we've had as even one that we titled, your clients don't want to hear from you by email. And that proactive approach has been very helpful. And we've heard this time and time again, because it's so easy just to send out the email. Let's say we're here and all of us seem to be getting inundated with emails. So I think your approach actually probably served you really well and will serve you well in the future too. Totally agree. Lauren, obviously COVID-19 has some really serious business implications, no matter the industry. We talked a little bit about those surgeons that aren't working now. Tell us a little bit more about how it's impacting them and how has it impacted your firm? As David mentioned earlier, there's obviously these two sides of the spectrum. So there's these doctors on the front lines that we kind of already talked about. They are working harder than they've ever worked before, shouldering a lot more burden than they probably have in the past or even anticipated <laughs> shouldering when they got into that area. And then we've got these surgeons on the other side who are totally shut down from performing elective surgeries. And those, are, those aren't really like chosen surgeries. That's like the word elective. It just means a surgery that's planned in advance. So there's emergency surgery, and then there's surgery that's planned in advance. Anything that was planned out in advance, they've not been able to do during these shutdown orders. And so I've been talking to surgeons that I have never been able to get a hold of, (laughs) and they're (laughs) taking my calls. They're happy to sign paperwork. They are attending webinars that we host there. I mean, they are more available than they, than I have seen them in the 10 years I've been working with them in some cases. They're telling me their volumes are at like 30% of what they were in the past. And then to kind of bridge the gap so that they don't get totally behind with their patients. A lot of them are trying to quickly kind of adapt to some telemedicine practices just to kind of keep up with their patients or maybe talk with patients that they can more easily talk with without actually seeing physically. It's made it a lot easier to communicate with some clients who previously were some of our busiest The other thing that's interesting about this time, when you talk about us from a business perspective, I mean, obviously we've seen a decrease in our revenues with the market going down, but doctors who either don't have an advisor or who have an advisor that maybe isn't being super proactive with them, 
they have questions and they need help now probably more than ever. Medicine has always traditionally been thought of as kind of recession proof. And then here we are, doctors seeing volumes down there, pay cuts. Uh, I haven't had this happen to any of my doctors personally, but I've heard of doctors being furloughed. That's not something any of us ever would have imagined. It's creating a lot of anxiety about out there about cash flow and just how am I going to continue to meet my obligations? A lot of them have big mortgage payments, big student loan payments. I mean, they have serious outflows, wow. obligations that they have to meet. So one of our values as a company is to give a surplus. And I always kind of joke that we wouldn't be great financial advisors if we asked people to, to pay something that they couldn't afford to pay us. Just <laughs> given the nature of the situation that we find ourselves in, doctors need us more than ever, but their cash flow is more uncertain than ever we have instituted flexible payment arrangements for new clients who want to go through our planning process. And that's been really well received. Some people who are kind of like, Oh, I don't know. Like I really want to get started on this, but it's, I don't know if I can commit that cash. I just don't know what my situation looks like right now. We're able to work with them knowing that in the long run, it's all going to work out. And it's more important to help these doctors right now than anything else. I'm sure that is so appreciated. Lauren, one of the things I know you're passionate about is making sure that your clients are engaging in competitive agreements with the hospital systems that they work for. You're, of course, in a unique position to understand what physicians are being paid in terms of salary and benefits. And I know over the past few years, you told me that you've noticed some inconsistent compensation offers based on what appears to be gender lines. And you've stepped in to coach and or help negotiate contracts for your female physician clients to make sure they're being paid at true market value. So I read all of the, the press about the financial toll that hospitals are facing now. And I know you mentioned earlier that that physicians are, are, are having some impact, at least the surgeons. What are you seeing with your clients? And are you having to step in and and help coach or negotiate some of the concessions they might be asked to make? At this point, it's a little bit of just an evolving situation, right? No one knows exactly how things are going to play out over the coming months, but we have started to see because of exactly the things you mentioned, volumes are so down when it comes to those elective surgeries, hospitals are having to make huge investments to expand their facilities and their ability to care for COVID patients in large volumes. And then this opening up plan it, or opening backup plan is pretty uncertain in a lot of cases. So hospitals are making some cuts to protect themselves. We also know that there are HHS funds being made available through, through some of the stimulus packages. And then I believe with a lot of these elective surgeries, the demand is not going away. <laughs> it's really just being deferred or delayed. It's not like you were planning on having a knee replacement. And then after you are shut in your house for two months, you all of a sudden don't want to have that knee replacement anymore. Exactly. So we really believe that volumes are going to come back. The important thing is that as hospital employed physicians, if they're receiving, if, if hospitals are trying to modify their contracts or modify their compensation arrangements and things like that, there are risks to the doctors that if they agree to something on goodwill, if it's not something that's a true amendment to their contract with an end date on it, then they could be potentially permanently altering their pay structure they could be jeopardizing the rest of their agreement with the hospital. So we want to make sure that they don't just jump in and agree to something 
without someone else's eyes on it first. So we do have lawyers that we work with. We have a negotiator who is a part of our company who can help with that. A partner of mine had a surgeon client whose hospital had communicated he was going to need to take a 20% pay cut and a reduction to four days a week. And the fifth day, he had to use a vacation day. So the client came to us, we got our negotiator involved. And again, due to this deferred demand, presumably deferred demand, we are able to come to an agreement on a deferred compensation plan, banking on those volumes coming back up. And given that he was willing and able to work, but the hospital just didn't have a need for him that fifth day, we were able to avoid him having to use vacation time for that, since obviously that's very important for the mental health of physicians and their engagement with their families and all of that. We want to make sure that we're looking out for that and not just their life in the hospitals. We'll see as things open back up how much more of this we're going to see. Thankfully, there are hospitals that are making, at least at the moment, good commitments to their doctors that they're not going to be cutting pay. But then there's also a lot of doctors who get a lot of bonus compensation based on productivity, the volume of procedures or surgeries or whatever that they do is directly correlated to any pay that they earn above their base. And in some cases, that bonus can be the majority of their income. <laughs> With those wow. clients, it's not an alteration of their agreement. It really is like we need to be prepared for a decreased period of cash flow. And we haven't seen the implications of that yet because when an insurance company pays hospital or a physician practice for a procedure, that usually actually comes like two to three months after the procedure was completed. So given that we're really just on like two-ish months of this shutdown, we're not going to actually see those implications until next quarter with our doctors. In this period of time, we're all in this together. We all want to help. I could imagine that a lot of doctors are like, yeah, you know, of course. But if I know you, you're probably actively reaching out to them before they hopefully say those words. And I'm sure that that will be long remembered by them. And that's part of that open dialogue too, like those phone calls and all that. It's really just starting the conversation so that they know as anything is happening to them, like come to us first because we can, we can help and we can help look out for them and kind of have their backs during this period. So you're absolutely right about that. Well, Lauren, that's definitely a value add of your services that a lot of advisors are just don't add that kind of special touch. And I commend you for that. I happen to marry well into a family of ophthalmologists, and I know that these are a lot of smart people, but sometimes they financially may not always pay attention to what's going on. But given that your clients include immunologists, did they see this coming before the rest of us? Interesting you asked that question. This, from all that I can gather from my vantage point, this was a very rapidly evolving situation in the medical community. And I do have a lot of ICU doctors. I have some infectious disease doctors. And I was relying on them as we started to see these headlines about the coronavirus back at the end of February into early March. I was reaching out to them, not to talk money at all, but just to say, hey, what's going on here and how concerned do I need to be about the implications of this on the financial side? Like I said, it was a quickly evolving situation. I do remember in very beginning of March, I met with a client of mine who does a lot of work in the ICU. He was convinced that this was going to tank the economy and he wanted to go to cash or stop his monthly investment contributions or both. 
we're very much, I mean, we're not market timers. <laughs> we're very much asset allocation, rebalancing, you know, kind of the tried and true investment philosophy. And so the conversation that I had with him at that point was, we may know that something is coming right now. He may be totally right about that, but it's hard to be right on both sides of that, when to get out and then also when to get back in. And the risk of not knowing when to get back in was going to be just as much, <laughs> if not more than timing trying to get out, especially considering at that point, I mean, we did not know what this was going to turn into, what the magnitude of this was going to look like, but looking at data on how the market had performed around past epidemics and what the recoveries looked like, there just wasn't going to be a way to make an informed market timing decision as, you know, I personally believe they're never is. <laughs> and then as for his cash contributions, he has a decent time horizon. And so we talked about the fact that investing at lower prices is not a bad thing, kind of buying on sale, buying low. His long-term plan was still on track. So ultimately we decided to stay the course. Your client was trying, was going to make the all too common mistake that a lot of investors make. They pick when to get out and then when to get back in and usually miss that going up part of it, which has historically been really bad for those investors who didn't get back in at the right time. So what happened when we saw those huge market declines in March? Did you reach back out to him? How do you feel about the decision? I was admittedly a little nervous to reach back out to him, just knowing the conversation we'd had and then knowing how things had played out from there. But I mean, I knew it, our decision was well-informed and very level-headed. So I did, I picked up the phone and I called him after a little I knew it. I called it. <laughs> he actually did thank me for just providing that perspective to stay the course and kind of think about things from a long-term perspective because he admitted, he goes, you know what? I wouldn't have gotten back in until a vaccine. And I've seen the recovery that has started to happen. So he's like, I now realize that, you know, maybe things aren't directly connected to the medical piece of this. And it's possible that other things would bolster the economy or kind of the recovery in the meantime. So he's like, you know, I do think I would have called the getting back in timing incorrectly. And I appreciate the fact that we've stayed invested. That was actually a, that was a great win, just providing that long-term perspective. The interesting thing that I've noticed about doctors during this whole thing, they are so close to the medical side of this. It's very hard for them to separate the number of infections, the number of deaths, and the fact that that is very much on an upward trajectory with the fact that the market is not, isn't perfectly correlated with that. So they're seeing at this point, the market doing well, even though those numbers on the medical side of this are getting bigger and bigger, that's not totally making sense to them. And so we've had this conversation a lot that those kind of worst case models came out at the beginning of this, and the market probably priced those in <laughs> at that point, meaning anything less than that 100,000 to 200,000 deaths that was initially communicated was actually good news to the market. Whereas they're seeing like this rise in number of cases, this rise in loss of life. And that's obviously, and very understandably, very bad news to doctors. That's what they're kind of responsible for in all of this. And so that's just been a very interesting observation is trying to pull them out of the being so focused on the correlation of the medical side of the pandemic with the market and trying to focus on the longer term market trajectory. Well, believe me, that was 
definitely during our early Sunday dinners with the whole family and living in a family of doctors, I can definitely say that that was the conversation about how many deaths and how, how this is spreading. It was doom and gloom. And so I could see where they could easily make the correlation with the financial market and then have the financial market already turn. Mm -hmm. That would be very, that would, it has been very confusing to them. So well done. Given this medical chaos that many of your clients are on the front line and seeing day in and day out, you've seen an uptick in the request for estate planning services and documents? Yeah, this is a question that started coming in in higher volumes probably about a month ago. And I noticed that every time someone would bring it up, they would preface it with, this might be awkward, but or forgive me for being morbid, but I realized that this was a really uncomfortable thing for doctors to be thinking about. And this is real. It's easy for me to sit in my home office and have conversations with people on the phone or over video conference or whatever. If you're going into the hospital every day and you're seeing how sick these patients are and you're talking to colleagues, if you're not on the front lines, you're talking to colleagues who are, this is very real and very scary to a lot of these clients. And I realized that they were feeling uncomfortable asking me about it or felt like they were bugging me or something like that. Wow. So I just decided that a lot more people probably had these questions than were asking me these questions. And so as I was having conversations with clients, as I was having meeting with clients, I was checking to see, did I have their estate planning documents? I was spot checking their beneficiary designations. And then I just started communicating with them rather than making them feel awkward. And I would say, I just so you know, <laughs> I am kind of doing just the look back through your estate planning documents, spot checking your beneficiaries, just to make sure that everything looks good in that arena. And I'll let you know if there's anything that we need to change or update, which they were very appreciative of, because like I said, it was on all of their minds anyway. And then right. the, I guess, good consequence, a good thing that is coming out of it. I'm thinking of one client in particular who I have been trying to get, he and his wife, I have trying to, been trying to get their family to do their estate planning for probably five years now. They've just been putting it off, putting it off, putting it off because it's not something that's easy to take time to do. It's not something that's fun to think about. All of a sudden they're faced with something. I mean, he's at risk here. He's someone that is going to the going into the hospital every day. And he gave me a call and he said, Hey, I need to get with an attorney. We got to get this estate planning stuff done. It's actually been nice to kind of get people who have, who've been dragging their feet on getting their estate planning done. Obviously this is a very important component of planning pandemic or not. It's been nice impetus to get people to prioritize that. And again, a lot of clients who didn't previously have the time now have it. And attorneys are more willing to do meetings over video conference and things like that than they haven't been in the past as well, which makes it even easier for our clients to get a meeting together. I'm sure that will be remembered long after this pandemic. And I know, Lauren, this is just your nature, but I think it's so important to emphasize the proactive approach that you've taken with clients during this time. I, I got to think that a lot of people might have stopped and figured they're too busy right now. They're on the front lines. I'm going to give them a break and not call them. But you didn't. And you found that they wanted to talk to you because you could help relieve 
some of their stress. Now that we're moving through it, and I guess people on the front line are still are still in the thick of it, but as we start to recover, as we start to come out of this, what would you recommend in terms of proactive approaches? I referenced one of our company values earlier. Another one of them is never let them guess. And I just kind of think, yeah, they might be busier than normal. They might not have time to take my call, but I'll let them decide that. I'm not going to decide that for them, right? They can choose not to answer. (laughs) They can choose to listen to my voicemail later, but it's not going to be my lack of reaching out to them that's going to make that decision. So I just think over communicating is key. I think about what I've been doing personally. I mean, I've spent more time on the phone in the last six weeks than I probably have in the last couple of years. (laughs) (laughs) Just because I really want to be having those conversations. And I think I've been more kind of on with communication that I might have let some of my team members handle in the past, because I just, I want to be sensing if there are things that, things that are on their mind, if there are anxieties that I can well, I want to be, I want to be picking up on those. And if I'm in a conversation with them about something totally mundane, they may just say, Hey, well, I have you. And they may ask a question that was really important, but they wouldn't have reached out to ask. The other yeah, thing you is wouldn't have gotten that through email. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The other thing is I've so many people have prefaced requests that they have sent to me with, I'm sure you're super busy right now, but that also is kind of an indication to me that they may not reach out to me because they think their request isn't super important and they think that I might be too busy, (laughs) which is absolutely not the case. And I don't want them to feel for a second that it is. I will make time because these people are important and this is my job. There are a lot of advisors out there who have sent those emails that said, at least in the beginning of this, I'm really busy. Please don't call. I'll get you at some point or, or not even say that. And uh, I heard that from multiple people early on. So I, I hope that they've made those calls by now. Like, oh, like that just blows, it just blows my mind. It's so <laughs> counter to the way that I believe in doing business. It's, it just blows my mind. Cause I, I mean, I want clients to be totally confident that I have their backs right now. And if they're even like, you know, Hey, I saw this thing in the news about a mortgage refinance. Like I want them to send that to me. Because I can, I can talk them through whether or not that makes sense for them. I can help with those things. The last thing I want to do is have them have more on their plate right now because they feel like they have to figure all this stuff out. The other thing I would say to advisors who are listening, I have found asking people if they have more time on their hands now than they have in the past, asking them what they're doing <laughs> during <laughs> quarantine is a great question. Or for my clients who don't have free time right now, asking them what they're looking forward to on the flip side. Those are such good questions to learn what's important to your clients if you don't know that already. And I've been able to jot down little notes and send little things to clients. I have young daughters. I have a client who has young daughters. We were connecting about watching the Frozen movies umpteen million times while (laughs) spending so much time at home and it's rained a lot in Nashville. And we have this super cool little Frozen book that my daughter loves and it has these really cool kind of pop-up things. It's a very cool book and it's unlike any of the other kids' books that we have. And it took me all of five minutes to get on Amazon and send that book to that family. That's something that they're going to remember that I did well beyond this, I think, because they're going to be reading that book together as a family for a long time, I would guess, with three little girls. (laughs) I had another client who told me, I can't wait to pop a bottle of champagne when this is all all over. 
And you better bet I opened up the CRM and I made a note when things calm down, I am absolutely going to show up on her doorstep with some champagne for her. She's not only an ICU doctor, but she's also in hospital leadership and she is giving of a lot of herself during this time. Things like Mother's Day is coming up. I work with a lot of female doctors. I know how challenging and taxing it is to be a mom, especially with young kids during this period of time without the help and support that you normally have. I cannot imagine doing it if I was also one of these frontline doctors. I mean, you better bet those moms are getting a handwritten note from me this Mother's Day that I probably wouldn't have sent in the past, not because I didn't care, but just because I want them to know that I appreciate them and I see them during this time. I have kind of taken the approach through all of this. I started in the business, you said earlier in 2010, that's when I started my practice. And that was right on the tail end of 2008, 2009. And I remember it was so easy to get the ear of prospective clients or to get people to come to a seminar or meet with me or whatever, even just for a second opinion, because it was so fresh for them how their advisor had just handled a downturn. <laughs> for me, that's kind of, there's kind of twofold implication when it comes to having that knowledge and how I approach our business, our company, my practice during this period of time. One, it means I need to be really proud of the service that I provide right now because that's going to help me retain clients over the long term. And two, it means that if you provide great and memorable service through this period of time, this is going to be as good a time as ever <laughs> for the future of my practice, the future of our company. Serving doctors really well through this time is going to come back to us for sure. So it's, it's well worth the investment and well worth the effort. We talk a lot about the client experience. And I would say you are creating the client experience. This isn't service. This is above and beyond. And we truly believe at FlexShares that if you create a memorable client experience that shows how much you care about the relationships that you have, that's always going to be your best line of referrals. And I know that you're not doing this for the referrals. You're doing it because you care about your clients. But we think that there's a long tail with, with that sort of thing. We're out of time. Lauren, I just want to thank you so much again for joining us on the Flexible Advisor podcast. I think I knew you were going to provide some really insightful ideas and, and just thank you for sharing them with us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Flexible Advisor podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds or Northern Trust. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foreside Fund Services, LLC Distributor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Although we attempt to keep the information complete and current, we do not warrant that the content herein is accurate, complete, or current. We make no commitment to update the content herein. 
It is your responsibility to verify any information before relying on it. The content of this podcast may include technical inaccuracies. We may make changes in the products and or services described herein at any time. We provide you this information with the understanding that we are not rendering accounting, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your legal or tax advisor concerning such matters.